We do want to honor and uh, recognize all of our, our dads and our granddads and, and really all the, the men uh, that are here today. If you are the male uh, agenda, I'd like for you just to stand for just a moment. Let me speak to you if you would. Just go ahead and stand to your feet. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. So uh, let me just say, uh, man to man, God bless you. I'm glad that you are here uh, today. Uh, you make things happen. You make things happen in this church and in our great city of Austin and in our state of Texas, but also our great nation. It's because of men like you uh, that we're able to have what we have, and uh, I praise God for you. And so I just wanted to call you out and recognize you. And as you're seated, I want you to know I'm going to preach a whole sermon to you today. So go ahead and, and have a seat. You ever heard these words? And if you have, maybe see if you can, uh, if you can guess them. Say, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix legions, the loyal servant to the one true emperor, Marcus Aurelius. I'm a father to a murdered son, the husband of a murdered wife. And I will have my vengeance either in this life or the next. Anybody remember those words? What's the name of the movie? I come now, some testosterone in that movie. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that, that movie, I, I like those lines so much, I committed them to memory. But I also memorized another line for you today. It's, it's much shorter, but it's a whole lot more powerful. When Maximus in the movie Gladiator, uh, Russell Crowe said these words. He said, what we do in this life echoes throughout eternity. Oh, that is very, very powerful. What we do in this life echoes throughout eternity. And so today I want to share a message with, with our men. And I know that as the ladies are here, you'll honor, you'll honor your men, uh, your man, and allow us to just focus uh, for a few minutes about what it means to be a man. What, what are the real true characteristics of a man, of a godly man? And gentlemen, just so you know, it's your wife or your, uh, your, your daughter or your grandmother, whoever may be here, Please know that even though I'm talking to you, she is a listening, okay? And, and I just hope she doesn't use my words against me, you know, at lunchtime. Say, well, why don't you live up to that? You know, we don't want to do that. This is a time of, of blessing and, and honoring uh, our, our men. So over the last few weeks and months, we have been studying uh, the life of one particular man in the Bible, a man by the name of Nehemiah. And we finished last week, chapter 7, uh, of Nehemiah, and next week, well, actually in two weeks, let, let me just give you a little advertisement, advertisement. Next week, uh, we, we're going to have in our church, it's very rare to have an admiral in your church, but we're going to have an admiral of the Navy come. He's going to preach a sermon to us, and his wife is going to sing right before he preaches. And our worship ministry have been working really hard on some patriotic tunes, and so you'll want to come. And I really want to encourage you to bring somebody with you because right around the July 4th time, we want to take this time uh, to honor our country, honor our patriots, our men and women of the armed forces. But preeminently, we want to take time and just thank God for our great country. His name is Admiral Endel Lee, and he's going to be speaking, and his wife Kathy is going to be singing. So anyhow, over the last few weeks, we've been studying the book of Nehemiah. And so what I wanted to do today is I wanted to retro, I wanted to go back to chapter 1 because there's a verse tucked away there in chapter 1 that I wanted to pull it out again for our men especially 
Because in Nehemiah 1, chapter 4, there are some characteristics, really some salient features of Nehemiah's life that demonstrated to the reader then and to the reader today that he was a very unique, special man, but he was a, a man of God. And so today, as we look at the text, the title of the sermon is Men Like Him. And the him, the antecedent or the pronoun him, refers back to the man, uh, Nehemiah. And so let me catch you up just a little bit about who this man was. Very unique man in history, not only in biblical history, but also in secular history because he worked for a man by the name of Artaxerxes. Now, uh, most historians have heard of Artaxerxes. He was the king of the Medes and the Persians in the 5th century. His predecessor was a man by the name of Cyrus in 538 B.C. who said, let God's people go. And so there was a wave of Jews and the Israelites went back to their homeland in Jerusalem. And we've shared this, but let me just bring you back up to date as to what's going on. When that happened in 538, there was a man by the name of Zerubbabel, and he took the first wave of Jews back to their homeland because, as you know, in, in 586, they were destroyed by the Babylonians. But then another group went back in 457 with a man by the name of Ezra. And Ezra, by the way, has a whole book named after him in the Bible. And Ezra helped. He was a priest, and he went and helped to rebuild the temple and restore proper worship there in Jerusalem. But when God needed... I mean, just a, a raw bone man. I mean, just a man's man. He looked at a guy by the name of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah had kind of a cushy job. He had a, he had a kind of a desk job, if you will. He was the cupbearer for the king Artaxerxes. Now, a cupbearer was somebody who took the wine, who took the meat, took all those delicacies, and he ate them, ingested them, and then he digested them. And if he died, long live the king. Okay, that, how would you like to have that job? Well, anyhow, that was his job. He would take the food, taste the food and the drink, and if it was okay and he didn't die, then the king uh, could eat it because everybody seems like somebody was trying to assassinate the king. So God looks to and fro throughout the earth, and he places his mind and God places his heart upon a man by the name of Nehemiah. And he said, Nehemiah... I want you to go. I want you to lead the third wave back to Jerusalem. And here's your job. I want you to rebuild the fallen wall. The wall that surrounds the perimeter of my holy city of Zion has been destroyed. And I want you to go and I want you to rally the troops. And I want you to rebuild that wall. And as we have been studying, that's precisely what happened. Nehemiah, with the help of his friends, they rebuilt the wall in a record time, 52 days. And in chapter 7, it just kind of concludes, and they're just having a great time of celebration. And then in chapter 8, man, in two weeks, I can't wait to get into chapter 8 because they have this spiritual, awesome time of revival when they began to read God's Word and just celebrate the good things that God had done. But when we go back to chapter 1, we, we preached on this, we looked at it, but today, I just want to isolate it. I want to study it, especially with our men, because there's all kinds of ideas and thoughts about really what constitutes a man. Is it how much he can bench press? Is it how many guys he can beat up? Is it how fast he can run or how much money he can make or how prestigious he can be? And I would say, no, no, not at all. Because really what constitutes a man is somebody that loves God and loves his family. To me, that is what a real man looks like. And so here's this man, Nehemiah, and I want to look at him. There's four characteristics of his life. And I just got to tell you this before I read this text. Um, and I shared this message with my son yesterday. He's, he's preaching today up in Dallas. And 
and he called me yesterday, and um, it was kind of a cool moment, because when Bryant calls me, usually on the weekend, he needs something, all right? He's going to be preaching or speaking, and I said, Bryant, you need my Logos Bible software, don't you? He says, no, not really. I just need you, Dad. And I thought, come now. That just, that just kind of blessed me, you know? He said, no, I just, I just need you to, to help me with this text, and, and what do you think Jesus meant when he said... And so he shared his sermon with me, and then I shared my sermon with him. And when I gave him the four points of the sermon that I'm about to share with you, he goes, Dad, you're, you're going heavy. <laughs> you're going strong on those guys. You're, you're not letting up on them, and I'm not. Because you know what, guys? I think deep down in our hearts and in our souls, the last thing we really want to hear is the 18 ways to have a happy life. I, I think we've heard enough of that. We've seen enough of that on, on television. We've read enough books on that, how to have a happy life. Well, how do you have a godly life, you know? How do you live a, live a life that really matters, not only in time, but also for eternity? And what I'm going to share with you today, just, just buckle up a little bit, because it is an intense message on the life of Nehemiah and how he serves as a template, as an example for us men to pattern our lives after so that when the time is over and we end this life here on this earth, we are genuinely prepared to meet God. You say, well, what are those four characteristics? Well, let's read the text, and I'll share them with you in a message entitled, Let's Be Like Him. Let's Be Like Nehemiah. The Bible says in verse 4, So it was, when I heard, when I heard these words, these words refers back, refer back to Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3. Let me just tell you what it says real quickly. It says, and when Hanani came to me, I asked him, brother, and it was his blood brother, how are things in Jerusalem? How are things with the captives? And Hanani said to me, Nehemiah, things are bad. The, the city is in turmoil, in distress, because the walls are crumbled. They have been decimated. And Nehemiah says, when I heard that, I sat down. So in order for you to sit down, what must you have been doing in order to sit down? You said, that was profound. Thank you. <laughs> you ever received news that was so devastating you had to sit down? Maybe Nehemiah's knees just buckled. And when they buckled, he just, he, just went, he just had to look for a place to sit. Now, remember, he's in the king's palace. And he is about, probably about to go into the, the court of King Artaxerxes and do his deal and, and live his life and perform his duties. But when he heard the message that my people... In my city, they have been devastated and they continue to struggle even after these two uh, returns back to the homeland. The, the wall still is, is torn down. When I heard these words, I sat down and I wept, he said. I, I literally cried and I mourned a ball is the Hebrew word there. It's a strong word. It literally means to be languid in your physical posture and it means to lower your head in, in great dismay. And he said, and when I mourned for many days, and I was fasting, I was fasting to God. Fasting, most of the times, or almost all the time when it's used in the Bible, it wasn't a digital fast. <laughs> they didn't have technology like that. You know, so I'm going to fast from Facebook. Well, they didn't have Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. They had food. And he said, I'm not going to eat and knowing Nehemiah, he's probably said, I'm not going to drink hardly anything, but I'm just going to fast and I'm going to pray before the God of heaven. And so what I want to do over the next few minutes is just take these four characteristics out of Nehemiah's life 
and just extrapolate what truth we can from there, just to glean from God's Word. And, and, and by God's grace, I want to try to apply these principles to your life and to my life. So principle number one, and guys, if you're taking notes uh, in, in your, in your, in your um, worship guide here, it looks a little bit like this. And uh, inside, there's a place for our guest. And by the way, if you're a guest, praise the Lord. We're glad that you're here. You may be a guest from our Vacation Bible School. We're thrilled that you're here. If you take just a moment, fill that out. Let us know who you are. But there's an, also another sheet in there. It has a little thing about notes. And I don't know about you, but I have to write things down. When I write things down, I'm much more apt uh, to remember them. And if you'll notice, there are four characteristics here that we're going to look at of a godly man. And the first one, and ladies, you're going to love this one. All right, hold on, guys. The first characteristic of a godly person, a man of God, listens. <laughs> they listen. Nehemiah says, and when I heard the news, when you... It presupposes that in order to hear something, you, you've got to slow down long enough to, to listen. And I know it's a simple, basic axiom, but it is so true. Guys, sometimes we're just not the best listeners. And if, if you don't believe that, then ask your dear wife. How many times have you had this happen to you that this happens to me? My wife will be talking to me, and I promise you with all that is within me, I fully intend to listen to her, but it's like my mind goes back over here, and I'm off in the never, netherland, never world, you know, and, and Ashley will say, you are not listening to me. And I respond, yes, I am, to which she asks me a question. <laughs> guys are married, man, I'm telling you. And then I say, well, you said, yeah, you, you know, she goes, I told you. <laughs> so, so guys, in, in order to, I tell you, make a marriage uh, a better and just to be a better person in general, you know, it's interesting. I know it's, we all know this, but God gave us two of these and one of them. <laughs> he gave us two ears to listen and one mouth to speak. I was reading him a quiet time just this morning. It talks about in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2, it says, you know, a foolish man does not want to listen. All he wants to do is hear his own voice. He doesn't want to listen. He just wants to hear his own voice. And then another one out of James chapter 1, verse 19, I think we've included this one so we can read it. It says, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, quick to hear, quick to listen, but let us be slow to speak, and let us be slow to wrath. And by the way, I think that is a great trilogy. That's a triumvirate for powerful living. If we'll be quick to hear, and then we'll close our mouths, we'll be very cautious and careful to speak, because, guys, that's when we get in trouble, right? We just kind of quit listening, tone everything out like we know everything, and I just got to speak in my mind. We speak our mind. We get angry. Just kind of everything just kind of blows up, and there we go again, you know. Well, I can help you with this, and I can help me with this if we just stop and, and we just listen, okay? Number two, second characteristic of, of a good godly man, according to Nehemiah, is that we weep or that we cry. Now, some of you guys are like, you want to argue with me on this one. You're going to say, no, 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 because I've always been taught, Brother Danny, especially from the greatest generation, my dad and my granddad, they always taught me that real men don't cry. You know, I put that up there with some phrases that, that people say that attribute it to the Bible where it says, and God helps those who help themselves. Well, that's not in the Bible. 
If anything, the antithesis of that is in the Bible, which says God helps those who, what, can't help themselves. And so the Bible says, when I heard these words from Hanani, my friend, my brother, that I sat down, and Nehemiah says, I literally began to cry. So this week, as I was studying this sermon, I know I've already preached this text, but God just gave me this text over and over. I just kept studying and looking at it. I said, well, I'm going to just do a survey a study of the Old and New Testament. This is what I did, and you can do this with concordances and, and digital help, you know, on the, on the screen. I went through all the Bible and found every time it said a man cried. And you know what I found? I found that the following men cried. Jacob and Joseph, David and Solomon, and Elijah the prophet, Ezra, the priest, Nehemiah, the builder. In fact, we have a whole Bible named after a guy who was called the weeping prophet. Anybody know who that was? That was Jeremiah. And then I came over to the New Testament. I was like, well, do guys in the New Testament cry? The four most prominent men in all the New Testament, the Bible says, you can track this, you can trace it. They literally stopped and they wept. And that would be Peter and John, and Paul, and Jesus. In fact, John eleven thirty five, 35, which is great text for us to memorize because it's only two words, right? So I like that kind of scripture memory, brother Danny. Well, it says Jesus wept, okay? So if you cry and if you get emotional and you, a tear bubbles up in your eye, instead of being just this raw, bone, tough, red-blooded of individual American male, instead of just sucking it up and going, I'm not going to cry. Man, just let cry. Well, what if my wife sees me, you know? Well, she knows you're a big sissy anyhow. I'm just kidding. Now, what if your wife sees you? And what if your kids see you? So I'm reading this book this week, and I really intended to, to read the whole book before I preached this sermon. And I got to about page 109. It's about 200 pages, but it's such a wonderful book. And guys, let, let me go ahead and just do an advertisement for this book. It's called Play the Man. Play the Man. It's written by a man by the name of Mark Batterson, a real man's man, a spiritual man, a godly man, an athlete, great pastor out in Washington, D.C. And I'm reading through this book, and he's talking about real men weep. And he's got this little paragraph, and, and I'm just going to go ahead and, guys, if you didn't wear your steel-toed spiritual boots you may want to figuratively, metaphorically put them on for just a moment before I read his paragraph. This is what he said to the men, and I quote him. When was the last time your wife saw you cry? How about your kids? What about your friends? If it's been a while, you're probably repressing something, and repression usually leads to obsession or depression. Your lack of vulnerability isn't courageous, it's cowardly. So, toughen up, tear up, and play the man. Play the man. That's Mark Batterson's book. I highly recommend it to you. Another book I just finished uh, reading, it's called Waking the Dead by John Eldridge. And here's another guy. This guy's kind of an eccentric, uh, renaissance kind of guy. Uh, Waking the Dead, he, he wrote great books like uh, Epic and Wild at Heart. I don't know if you've read any of those books. I've read those books. Fantastic. Let me encourage you, man. One of my professors in school told me, listen, you want to be a great man? Then read about great men. <laughs> Simple, isn't it? 
You want to be a great man of God? Read about great men of God. And in his book, he has this quote, and it kind of bothered me a little bit. And as it bothered me, it was a good thing because it kind of, it kind of got in my mental synapses. It kind of got in my brain, and I was like, I don't know if I agree with this or not, but the more I read it and the more I parsed it and, and studied it, the more I really appreciated what the guy had to say. It's actually a quote from one of our early church fathers by the name of Irenaeus. And Irenaeus said these words, and John Eldridge, he quotes them so affirmatively, and he said this, the glory of God is man fully alive. I thought, whoa, let me read that again. The glory of God is when man is fully alive. When we are, I mean, running on all eight cylinders, when we are spiritual men, physical men, emotional men, family men, godly men, when we are fully alive, then the glory of God is on display for the world to see. I like that. So real men, they listen and they weep. And I don't have many original ideals, but God gave me this this week, and I want to share it with you. Men, if God did not want you to weep, he would not have made tears. Okay. Third thing I want to share with you, and this is where it's going to get kind of quiet. It's going to get kind of interesting, uh, and it's biblical. And I know, guys, some of you guys are going to kind of have a little rebellion party in your heart right now when I bring up the next one called fasting. Third characteristic of Nehemiah, which serves as a template, really as an example for all of us men, is that our men that fast, that abstain from whatever it may be. Now, for me, when I fast, it's usually it's food. It's usually always food. I know I don't look like it, but, dude, I can eat, and I love to eat. I mean, if I, I mean you can... <laughs> Ask, ask my family, they say. He's little, but he can eat. Man, last night I grilled out, and I ate more than anybody and everybody. Then I had some Happy Father's Day cake, amen, and some bluebell ice cream. And all God's people said, amen. Man, it was delicious. And in order for me to fast and with, with abstain from that, it, it's hard. And yet, again, you go through the Bible. And I was looking at Nehemiah, and it says he fasted for many days, and he was praying to God. And then I I read about two of the most prominent men, one in the Old and the second one in the New Testament. The giver of the law, Moses, fasted 40 days and 40 nights without food or without water. And I don't recommend that because that's what the Bible would classify as a miraculous fast. When they did, when Moses did not eat or drink anything. You cannot go that long, believe me. You can't hardly go a few days without water. So I'm not a proponent of 40 days of abstinence of food and water completely. But right before the giving of the law, in this momentous, climactic time in his life, he fasted, and God gave him the law. Then Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus, for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted, and the enemy came and tempted him and, and, and assaulted him, really, and, and, and Jesus responded every time with a, thus saith the Lord, and he quoted the Word of God. By the way, you can't quote that which you never read, just that's free. But he's quoting the Word of God, and he's responding, and then right after that, what happens? The father says, here is my son. He, he's been baptized, then he goes into the temptation narratives, and then he begins his Galilean ministry. So my point is, right before a big breakthrough or something, maybe God wants to do incredibly huge in your life, like go back and rebuild the whole wall around Jerusalem, then, then you just back up and you say, well, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to, I'm going to fast, and I'm going to do without. Now, 
In a few weeks, I'm going to call Great Hills Baptist Church, I'm going to call us to a 40-day fast. Now, God's given me real peace about this. I spent all last week praying and fasting, and I'm telling you, it's hard. And I don't say that to brag. If I'm bragging, then I would tell you when I'm praying and fasting, right? But I'm not telling you. I fast every week, just so that you know, and I always do for the same reasons. I fast for those who are hungry, uh, physically and spiritually, that God would feed them and use me to feed them. I fast for our missionaries. I fast for Great Hills Baptist Church in my ministry every week. I'm not going to tell you how long. That's not important, but I do. But sometimes, like last week, a whole lengthy week of fasting and praying, and usually, here's why I did it, is because I've just been feeling this enormous spiritual attack on my life like I had never really experienced before. And, and, and temptations coming to me that I could easily overcome, I found myself having a harder time. And I, I was getting just bombarded with these thoughts and these ideas. And so I just said, God, I, 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 got, I need you, Lord. And so I'm just not going to eat. And so, and God, every time I do this, he just does something miraculous. But here's what I want to do. I want to call our church to 40 days of praying and fasting, August 8th through September the, the 17th. If you're a member of our church, I want to invite you to come along with me and let's do this. And here's what it's going to look like. In the fall of 2017, we're going to do something, boldly go where we have not gone before, at least in a long, long time. We're going to take some of our, our troops, some of our soldiers, and we're going to send them out and plant a church up in the Leander Cedar Park area, okay? And that's going to, that's going to be an awesome time. That's a spiritual time. And then we're going to move into the fall, and we're just praying that God gives us tremendous unity and purpose and passion and peace, and, and we just be the church that, that God wants us to be and the city of Austin needs us to be. And so here's what we're going to do. Every day we're going to open up the church, say, come and pray. Open it up in the morning, come and pray, 40 days. Every seventh day, I'm going to ask you to join me in a 24-hour fast without any food. You say, well, i got to take my medicine, then take your medicine, eat what you have to to take your medicine, and then get back in there with me, all right? You say, well, Brother Danny, food's not that big deal to me. Okay. What other things do you lie about? I mean, I'm just kidding. I mean, you say, well, food, food's not a real big deal to me, but i tell you what is, is my phone. And so if I just put my phone down for 24 hours, I, I, I'm going to really have to depend on God. And here's what I want us to do, church. During that time frame, Whenever that pain strikes us or whenever that urge hits us, then we just say, okay, why am I doing this? I'm praying, God bless my church and bless our church plant. And may we be the radiant church, God, you're calling us to be. And that's, that's what I'm going to be asking you to do. And man, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now, I'm going to be asking you to, to lead the way. I'm going to ask you to join me as a spiritual leader in my home and spiritual leader of this church. I'm going to ask you to come and join me, come alongside me. And you may say, well, I'll tell you what, Brother Danny, I'll do it, but on those days of fasting, I'll just miss maybe lunch. And I'm like, praise God. That's awesome. I'm no legalist. If you want to miss a lunch, whatever, whatever God tells you to do. Let me just tell you this, guys. If, you, if you've never experienced it, you've never done fasting, it is powerful. Watch this. After we do it, just watch what God does. You're welcome. You're welcome. He'll do something Phenomenal in us and through us. Last one. I know this is simple, but I know it's something we often overlook. And Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And so to be a godly man, a real spiritual man, to be somebody who leads well, leads their families, leads their church, leads their own life, you have to be a man of prayer. And when I say pray, guys, I'm not talking about just, Lord, thank you for the food and thank you for my family. Amen. I got to get this day going. Don't have time to pray. I just got to insert, sir, you don't have time not to pray. 
There's just too many things that are at stake in your life and in my life. So, again, I could go through the Bible, and I did not do it this time because I don't think you really need me to do this. You, you know that throughout the Bible, the men and the women of God are the people who spent much time with God in prayer. And so let me encourage you to be like Nehemiah, to spend those moments with the Lord in prayer. And for me, it looks like every morning of every single day, vacations included. Why? Because the devil don't take no vacations on me, all right? He's always tempting, always working on me, and I'm not strong in my own strength, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I pray, not in a legalistic way, but I just pray and read the Word of God because it is food to my soul. It is nutrients to my spiritual body. And so pray, pray, pray like it all depends on God and work like it all depends on you. But pray, pray, and pray some more. So these are the four characteristics of a godly man on Father's Day. And, um, and I know it's very intense. I know it's very spiritual, especially when you start talking about things like fasting and, and things like uh, prayer, praying. So I want to conclude with, with these words. What we do in life echoes through eternity. And men, especially, I want you to live a life that really matters, a life that counts. And I'm going to share with you just a couple of men that I have lots of respect for. And when I read their stories, I'm like, man, what, what great accomplishment. For example, a man you're familiar with, Charles Lindbergh. He flew his plane, the Spirit of St. Louis, May the 20th, 1927, the first solo transatlantic flight. And he started in Long Island, New York, and he flew, remember this, he flew in 1927. Everybody else who tried to do this had died. And yet he takes off from New York, 33 hours, 30 minutes, and 30 seconds to be exact. And when he lands, and by the way, here's what he had. He fasted. <laughs> you better fast, brother. You can't, you, you, I mean, you, you better be, here's what he, he didn't sleep. He fasted from sleep. You say, well, why didn't he just put on, you know, the autopilot, brother Danny, and just, came on. there no autopilot, he had him. And he had a little ham chicken sandwich, and he had a quart of water, and for 33 hours and 30 minutes and 30 seconds, that's all he had, and he flew through the fog of the Atlantic. He got so low one time, I think he was near Ireland, and he leaned over in the plane, and he said, hey, friend, where's, what direction is England? And the guy about passed out. He thought it was an alien. He was like, ah, a plane. But he landed, and when he landed, I mean, he became a worldwide hero, Charles Lindbergh. Tell you another one of my favorite people. My favorite president by far is Teddy Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt. They do not etch your profile on a big rock in South Dakota for no reason at all. all right? if, you, if you hadn't read his life, read his three volumes. Read Edmund Morris's three volumes of Teddy Roosevelt. It's fascinating. So 1912, when he's running for re-election, this time as an independent, he's already served two years, two terms as Republican president of the United States. He's campaigning in Wisconsin, and this, this, this guy who's just, just like the guy in Virginia last week, just, just bent out of shape over politics, bent out of shape over the rhetoric and the vitriol of politics so much that when he showed up on the baseball field, he asked the question, are these Republicans practicing or are these Democrats? 
And the congressman said, well, this is a bunch of Republicans. Have a good day, sir. That guy went on back to work. The other guy, he got out his guns and started trying to kill as many of them as he could. Why? Because he hates that particular brand of politics. Well, that's nothing new because this guy went up to Theodore Roosevelt in 1912, stuck a gun three, four inches from his chest and pulled the trigger and a bullet lodged within Teddy Roosevelt, two inches deep. Dr. Murray, two inches deep, goes into his chest cavity. Now, I know what I would have done. I would have just started shouting, help, help, call 911. I mean, I've just been freaking out. Teddy Roosevelt, this is what he did. He took a deep breath. He walked up to the podium and gave his presidential campaign speech. And he said, I'm not going to keep y'all really long because I just got shot. And for 53 minutes, he gave his campaign speech. 53 minutes, and when he finished, there was a pool of blood around his feet, and, and it was his. Now, here's my point. You may never say, my name is Maximus <laughs> Decimus Meridius, and I'm the commander of this and the Lord of that. You may never say that. You may never be a Russell Crowe. You may never fly an airplane and land it on another continent and the whole world call you a hero. You may never stand before your would-be assailant and take the bullet and then go give your speech. Men, there's probably a very good likelihood that you and I will never do that. But let me tell you something that we can do. We can love God and we can love our families. And in heaven's estimation, that's just as great. I think it's even greater to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your spouse. Respect your spouse. Honor your spouse. Be willing to lay down your life for her. Honor your children. Love your children. And be that man. Play the man. Be like him, Nehemiah. Be like Jesus. Be like these great guys that we study in the Bible. Last thing I want to share with you is... No, my ribs are not completely healed. I just felt that. Oh, just a good gentle reminder. See, I'm, I'm such a... a I, I, get, I mean, I'm, I'm hurting up here with a little rib. I can't imagine somebody shooting me and me still, you know, still preaching. Well, anyhow, here's what I want to do. If you're here today and, and you're of the male gender, I, I just want to ask you to stand again. Would you go ahead and stand to your feet? God bless you as you stand. Some of you men that are, that are here today, and can, can I just say, all of you men that are here today, thank you for being here. It's such a huge statement. Uh, most of the guys that are in our penitentiaries today, you, you check it out, 90 plus percent had no positive male role model in their lives. And because you are here, you are exemplifying a powerful model, not only for your family, but to me as your pastor, to your community. You're not ashamed of Christ. You're not ashamed even to stand before a congregation where God sees, everybody sees you. Here's what I want to encourage you with this. Play the man. Be a spiritual man of God. Be somebody that fasts and prays, somebody that weeps and listens, somebody that reads your Bible, shares your faith, gets up in the morning, glory to God. Like me, in the morning, you're going to get up early, have your quiet time, then you're going to go to work. And that's what we do as men. We work and we provide and we, we, we're not perfect. Mercy, if you're perfect, raise your hand. None of us are perfect. And that's why we need God. We, we need encouragement. And I'm hoping this message will provide you at least some encouragement. 
Some of you men standing and some of you men listening on television or live stream, some of you guys cannot honestly, genuinely say, I'm a spiritual man of God because you don't have that spiritual depth in your life. And the reason you don't have it is because there's never been a real time in your life where you surrendered the, the reins of control and gave it over to Jesus Christ and said, God, you take this life. I'm making a mess out of it. I, I have no victory over temptation. I mean, pornography just grips me and I cannot shake it. I, I, I lust and, and uh, anger, hot-tempered, those things, God, they just absolutely dominate my life. It could very well be that you've never really genuinely said, Jesus, take it. Just take my life. And so I want to encourage you to do what I did a number of years ago. I just said, Jesus, I can't do this. I confess with my mouth that you are the Lord. I am not. I believe in my heart. God raised you from the dead. You are the king. And I, wanna, I want you just to come into my life. And I tell you guys, when you make that commitment to the Lord, things radically change. Now, I know you're still going to struggle. I know you're still going to have temptations. I know that life is not going to be one big box of bluebell ice cream. Right? It's just not. And if anybody tells you, come to Jesus, all your problems go away, they're lying. Come to Jesus, and you start really living. I mean, you start battling temptation, and you overcome it. You start loving your wife and, and, and having that relationship that God wants you to have, and your kids honor you and respect you. Why? Because you're a man of God now. You've given your life over to Jesus now. And I want to tell you something, guys. That's what real manliness is. When you say, God, you take control of my life. If you've never done that, why don't you do that right now? Why don't you do that right where, where you're standing right now, right here today, say, Lord, I give you my life. And by your Holy Spirit, come into me. I can't do this. You take it. Okay? So let me pray for you as you stand in here. God, thank you for these men. Thank you, Lord, that they're here today. I pray that you bless them, God. I pray that those men of God right now who are surrendering their lives to you for the very first time, that, Lord, they would just sense within them the Holy Spirit of God coming in, taking residence, taking up what was um, no longer, not occupied, now it's occupied. The Spirit of God now lives within them. And I just pray for them, God, that they would let somebody know, let me know, let their wife know, let their their children, let somebody know that on this day, Father's Day, on June the 18th, 2017, they genuinely prayed and gave their life to Jesus Christ. They are men of God now. And Lord, I pray for them that we could disciple them and shape them into being those men that you want them to be. Lord, for the other men that are standing, I ask you to bless them, oh God, bless their walk with you. God, give them victory upon victory. Lord, for these men that are standing that and work hard and provide for their families. Would you bless the work of their hands? Bless, Lord, the minds that you've given them. Bless them, Lord, all the gifts and the talents. And, and just bless their businesses, oh God. Some of these men own their own businesses, and it's hard. And I pray that you'd bless them. And then, God, bless them every way. I'm asking you, Lord, to bless them financially. And bless them emotionally and physically. But preeminently, God, would you bless them spiritually, their walk with you. That they could say with Nehemiah of old, that when I heard this news, I listened, and I wept, and I fasted, and I prayed. They, and I pray for me, God, that I could be a man of God, worthy of their emulation, worthy of their imitation. God, would you bless these men? Thank you for them. And thank you now, Lord, that all of us, we're going to stand to our feet. We're going to sing a song of invitation and praise. Lord, I'm, I'm just going to stand at the front with some other pastors. And Lord, if there is some of these men just want to come, 
want to pray, or maybe they just want to come and tell me the decision that they made today to give their lives to you. And Lord, we're just going to celebrate. We're going to have a Nehemiah chapter 8 party. We'll just celebrate and rejoice in the good work that you've done. Thank you, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ladies, y'all go ahead and stand. Let's everybody stand up. Corey's going to come. Our praise team's going to lead us. Come on, guys. You make a commitment to Christ, tell us about it. Let us encourage you. Let us pray for you as we sing.